Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, hey there and good morning and welcome to Blue Ridge Church. Uh, thanks so much for being here with us. I know many of you here online. Uh, it's full-blown Christmas time, right? The Christmas lights are on. Christmas series is ready to roll. Uh, you couldn't have picked a better week to be here, too, because we're kicking off this new series talking about Christmas. And it's something we do every year really to help us get in the mindset, right? Because Christmas is, can, be, it can be such a crazy time of the year where we're busy and there's a lot of things to do. There's a lot of things going on. And so I know a lot of us have traditions. It's a fun time of year for a lot of people. Um, a lot of us do the same things over and over. Anyone uh, travel on Christmas morning and drive somewhere? Not many people, right? I did that for a couple of years. It's brutal. It's terrible to travel. Although Sheets gives away free coffee. That's the best part of it. I don't know if they still do that in the tough times now, but you could go to Sheets and get free coffee all day on Christmas. Um, anyone do Elf on the Shelf? right? Elf on the Shelf, kind of a crazy thing that happened over the last couple years. My wife a few years ago was like, we should do Elf on the Shelf with our boys. And I was like, that sounds great. What is Elf on the Shelf? I know I heard of it. I just didn't know what it actually was. And for those of you who don't know, it's basically this elf that comes to your house, visits your house every single day in the month of December leading up to Christmas. And if your kids are bad, the elf goes back to the North Pole and reports back to Santa that your kids have been bad. Right? And so it's kind of this incentive for them to be better. And I was like, oh, let's do it. That sounds awesome. I never had that growing up as a kid. That'd be great. Although my, my parents did have this game. It wasn't called Elf on the Shelf. It was called Belt on the Shelf. <laughs> right? Same concept, right? If you were bad, like there was no elf that went off the shelf to tell Santa. It was a belt that came flying off the shelf. And, and you knew it, right? Santa knew it. You knew it. Everybody knew it. And, and it was bad, right? You couldn't sit for a week. But no, there's a lot of things we do. It's a lot of anticipation, right? There's a lot of things for Christmas time. It's, it's usually a happy time for many people. I know it's a time for a lot of people look forward to at the end of the year. It's kind of like that the ending, the culmination on the year. And it's a fun time. You get to see family and friends and get to do things that you might not normally do throughout the year. And, and so it's good. But I also know that for those same exact reasons, Christmas time can be really hard too, right? Because... I've heard it called this like the triple A of Christmas, right? The anxiety, the anguish, and the anticipation, right? The anxiety that some people get when it's like maybe financial anxiety where you don't know how you're going to, to, to provide for your family or to give your kids the Christmas that you want them to have. Maybe it's you have to host people and see family that you don't enjoy <laughs> and, and that brings you stress and anxiety. Or, or maybe it's the anguish part where there's a lot of hurt and there's memories that you have as a kid or maybe just as you've grown up, you've lost some loved ones and Christmas time is the time that makes you think of that most, those moments, those times with those people or maybe it's a relationship that was broken and that just reminds you of all the joy that you had and, and it hurts this time of year and so you just want it to be done with. Or the anticipation, right? The hope or the expectations that we have of how we want this time of year to go or how we expect it to go. And that could be hard when we don't meet those expectations and those things fail. And, and so sometimes, even though Christmas time can be a great time for a lot of us, it can also be a hard time for many of us as well. And I want to focus this morning on that last one, the anticipation part, the hope part, because I know it sounds weird, but hope can be one of the reasons why Christmas time is so hard. And, and it's, again, weird, especially in church, because hope is one of the pillars of Christianity, right? It's one of the main things that we have 
when it comes to Christmas time. But the reality is when there's an opportunity for us to hope for something, there's almost always an opportunity for us to be disappointed by that something, right? When we hope we get something, right? Like that video we just watched, right? We, we, we wanted a toy. We wanted something. There's something that we really desi- desired. There's something that we really expected to get. And when we don't get it, it's disappointing. It's sad. It can be crushing to us in life to desire things and want things and expect things. And then when we don't get them, it hurts, right? It leaves us in a place where it's disappointing and, and, it, and it really beats us up and crushes us in our lives. And so even though hope is a good thing, and we're going to talk about the good things that hope can be, it can also be a double-edged sword when we don't understand it fully because it could lead us on to thinking we're going to get something or something is going to be a certain way. And when it's not a certain way and we don't get whatever that is, it puts us in a place in our lives where we struggle and we're depressed and we're sad and, and really disappointed with how life turned out or how that situation turned out. But one of the biggest gifts that God gives us, and this is what we're going to focus on this morning, one of the biggest and best gifts God gives to us, if you're a follower of Christ, I know not everyone follows Jesus here and that's fine, but if you are a follower of Christ, if you've got a relationship with Jesus, one of the best gifts that we have access to is the gift of hope, is the gift of hope that God gives to each and every single one of us because of what he's done for us. Here's what it says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, that's probably a verse that many of us have heard all throughout our lives. You know, we hear this all the time in church, right? I know the plans I have for you. God's got a plan for your life. God knows what he's doing. He's got a book up there and he's just following the script. And if you just listen to him and obey him, right, we just, God's got this amazing plan, but we really don't focus on the hope part, do we? We don't really understand that sometimes because the reality is part of the plan that God has for us involves the hope that he wants to give us. He says, I've got a a plan to give you hope. I want you to be a people that has hope. Followers of Jesus are supposed to be people who have hope. Now, in the context that this passage is written and is a little confusing because it seems like it's really fun and uplifting and good, right? But what's going on here is that Israel has completely lost hope. The people of God have lost all hope. And part of that is because of their own actions. Uh, They were disobedient to God. They pretty much abandoned God and their relationship with God for the world. And so God allowed their enemy, the Babylonians, to come into Israel and to defeat them and to exile them back to their land. And so as Israel's going there, they're discouraged, right? They've lost hope. They've ruined the promises that God had for them. The, the land that God give, gave to them, you know, it was all gone. They, they ruined it all because of their decision-making. And so they had lost all hope. And so God comes to this prophet Jeremiah and he tells him to tell the people, listen, I've not given up on you. There is hope. Even though you're going into exile, there will be a period of restoration once this exile's over. So don't lose hope. I'm not done with you. I've not given up on you. This isn't the end for you. Have hope. And that's the message that I think God has for all of us too, even thousands of years later, is that no matter what we're going through, no matter how hard life is, no matter how much we've messed up or how difficult and depressing and disappointed we are with life, there is always a reason to hope in God. There's always a person to hope in. There's always a reason to hope in, even though that might not be easy, right? They're about to go into exile for years and years and years, generation of time, but there's still hope at the end because God is not done with them. And that's the message he has for them. It's the message he has for us. 
is that God is not done with us even in the midst of disappointments, even in the midst of times where we wanted something so badly or have hoped for something so badly and it didn't work out. And so if you want to follow along this morning, I want to encourage you. We do learnings every single week. And so you can open up the Church Center app if you've got that, or you can write these down in those uh, little note cards that you received at the door. But here's learning number one. God has given us the gift of hope. The first thing we need to understand about hope is that if you are a follower of Christ, like I said, you have access to the gift of hope that God gives. A relationship with Christ gives us real, genuine hope. Someone to hope in, something to hope in, something to expect in our lives. When there's nothing else going good in our lives, there's always something and someone to expect. Now, hope is a little bit hard to understand because the way we use hope isn't necessarily the same way the Bible uses hope, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But a lot of times it can act as a double-edged sword, right? Sort of like a roller coaster. Because when we hope for something, it puts us on this emotional high, doesn't it? Where like, you, just, you want something so badly, and so you, you hope you get it, or you hope it happens. And so you might even just daydream up, like if it's a job or something, you, you want this new job, you dream up what it would be like to be in that position and to get that paycheck and, and how awesome it would be to be at the top and, and to, to do what you can do with that job. And then if you don't get it, what happens? That, that emotional high turns into an emotional low. And so we typically are people who are resilient. And so we'll say, you know, all right, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to cave in. I'm going to apply for another job. I'm going to try something else. And we get back on that roller coaster and we have that emotional high again. And, and they will even think like, oh, I'm glad that other one didn't work out because this would be even better anyways. This might be what God actually had for me. And, and what happens? We don't get it again. And, and we get crushed and we're disappointed. And, and, and sometimes that cycle over and over can be really hurtful and, and hard to keep going in life and, and can be the reason why we actually lose hope because when we do hope in things and don't get them, it's harder than not hoping at all because we had no expectations. I tell this to my wife all the time because she somewhat inherited being a fan of the Buffalo Bills football team. Um, I tell her, like, th- th- it's not hard to be a fan of this team because they're bad, They're almost never bad in the last 30 years. They've never been like horrible, but they've always been like just good enough to give you a little bit of hope, like to to make you think maybe they can win this game or maybe they can be good this year. Maybe they can even make the playoffs or go to the Super Bowl this year and they'll do all the right things and they'll, they'll play well and they'll beat the teams they need to beat. And then all of a sudden at the very last second, something crazy will happen some miraculous, never-been-seen-before play, or some crazy situation happens that never happens in a game, and it rips that hope right out of your heart. And so I said, you've got a lot to look forward to over the next couple of years. But that's what's hard about hope, right, is when we hope for things, and we want things, and they don't work out. And, and every once in a while, not a big deal, right? We're used to being disappointed in life. That's part of everyone, no matter how rich you are, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how, how successful you are, everyone's going to experience disappointment. But it's when it happens over and over and over and over again is when it starts to take its toll, right? Where we feel like we just can't win in life. No matter what we try to do, no matter what we hope for, no matter what we want, it never works out the way we want it to. And it can be the reason that it crushes us and and makes us and turns us into people who are hopeless, who are utterly hopeless and have no expectations and no hope for certain areas in our lives. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe that's kind of what you've been going through in your relationships. Maybe it's your marriage where you have gotten to a place where you've lost hope for 
reconciliation. You've lost hope that it's going to work out. It's going to go the distance. It's, you've lost hope that that person's going to change or that you're going to change or the situation's going to change. Or maybe it's a financial hopelessness where you feel so behind on Bill, you just can't catch up. You, maybe you feel like you're never going to be at a spot where you can ever be comfortable financially. You're never going to be able to retire one day. And so it's something you've given up hope on. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's someone in your life you've been praying for. Maybe for them to come to know Jesus or for them to be healed. Maybe they're sick and it's not looking good. And so bad news after bad news after bad news has caused you to completely give up hope. See, I think there's something really real and something important about us understanding the right way to hope and the way that God truly wants us to understand hope. Because when we, when we expect something and we hope for something and we don't get what we want, it, it turns us into people we don't want to be. Right? Sometimes it even turns us into people who we're afraid to say we want things and we're afraid to say we hope for things or desire things because we don't want to jinx ourselves by saying it, right? We don't say it out loud. Like right before Thanksgiving, my, our family, we just got hit with every sickness imaginable, right? I think it was RSV. We got the stomach bug, flu, the flu. We probably got COVID. There's probably something else in there too. And we were just all of us back and forth, all sick every other day, it felt like. And so right before we left to go see family on Thanksgiving, my wife was like, I'm just so thankful we're all finally healthy, and I was like, don't you dare say that out loud, <laughs> right? You find wood, right? You knock on some, is this real? Like, you got to find, like, don't say it, right? We, look, we get nervous of even saying the things we want or the things we hope for because we don't want to put that curse on it, right? It's a superstition around it. And I know as funny as that can be sometimes, but that's sort of sad, isn't it? Where we've, we've somewhat gotten to places in our lives where we've expected not to get what we want, where we were getting used to living our lives where we don't get the things we ask for or the things we desire in life or the things we expect to happen never happen, so we stop altogether. But that's what hopelessness can do. That's what putting our hope in the wrong things can do and not understanding fully what God wants for us in terms of hope and how hope actually works. Here's what Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's what God desires for us, that we may abound in hope, that it might be overflowing in our lives. That when we have hope, it's not just something we, we turn to in times of need, but it's something we look to and turn to at all times where we hope in God, where we hope in who he is and hope in the promises that he has for us and that we don't turn into people that have lost all hope and have let the disappointments in life keep us from what God has for us. And so the question really is, is, how do we get there, right? How do we get to become the people that God wants us to be where we do have that abundance of hope that's overflowing in our lives? And I think there's a couple things we can do, but first, here's what we've got to do, and it's learning number two. We've got to make sure that our hope is in the right things, right? Because hope is, like I said, it's not necessarily what we think of. Hope in the Bible is very different than the hope that we, the way we use the word hope or the way we talk about hope in life. Because what we usually talk about when we talk about hope, we, we start with doubt, right? We say things like, you know, I really hope it's not going to rain today. Or I really hope this relationship goes the distance. Or maybe we even, when it comes to faith, we say, I really hope God's real. 
Like we see the words hope in the Bible, God wants us to have hope. We think, okay, God, I hope you're real. I hope you're right. I hope this is true. I don't know, but I hope it is. And that's not really the way the Bible uses hope because again, that's starting with doubt. That's starting with uncertainty. That's, that's basically saying, I don't know whether or not this is gonna happen. I don't know whether or not this is something that I should be looking forward to. I don't know if this is real. I don't know if this is right, but I hope it is. We're like, I don't know if God exists. There's a 50-50 chance, right? I, I, hope it, I hope he does. That's not the hope that God wants us to have. Hope in the Bible is certainty. It is expecting something from God. It's expecting something that God promises or tells us he's going to do without any doubts at all. Not saying that we can't have seasons of doubt in our lives or that we can't doubt God or doubt what we believe, but having hope is, is not us hoping something to be true. It's expecting something to be true. And the hope part is us waiting for it to come. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, which is typically talked about more about faith than it is hope. But here's what it says about hope. It says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, he's drawing this connection how, and showing how faith and hope are interconnected with one another. And he's saying that faith is being sure of the things you hope for, being sure of the things that you expect, being sure of the things that God says, so much so that it changes the way you live your life. And you could go through the rest of that chapter, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and look at how those stories of all the people, they call it the hall of faith, because it has stories of people who had faith and hope in God that, that really put them on a, a, in a place where, where they were justified because of that faith. And, and as I was journaling and reading over that verse in that chapter, here's what I wrote down, and I, and I thought this was really helpful. I wrote this, hope, true hope, biblical hope is the belief that what God says is so true that I'm going to commit living in a way where my actions reflect the expectations I have to receive his promises. Where, where, where I have so much hope that I trust God so much that what the things he says are true, the promises that he makes in the Bible, the things that he tells us he's going to do or the commitments he's made to us or the ways he's promised to guide us and lead us in life, that those things are so true that I'm going to let it to change the way I live and I'm going to live my life expecting those things to be true. Not, not hoping one day that they come true or not really sure whether or not it's going to happen, but living in a way where I fully 100% expect that what God says is true is actually true. And what God says is going to happen is actually going to happen. Now, this is not easy. This is a hard thing to believe, and it's a hard place to get to in life. Um, but when we really understand hope, I think it's possible for every single one of us. A great example in the Bible is in the Old Testament, of, in the book of Ruth. And it's a short book. It's not a very long book, but it's, talks about, uh, it gives a story about a couple different people, obviously centered on Ruth. But the story starts out actually with a, a woman named Naomi. And Naomi and her husband and they've got two sons, they live in Bethlehem, but because of a famine, there was a food shortage, uh, they left Bethlehem for a town called Moab, okay? And so once they get to Moab, they're starting to live their lives, and, and, and out, of, out of, you know, nowhere, it doesn't say how or why, uh, Naomi's husband dies unexpectedly, okay? And so shortly after he passes away, his, their sons get married to two Moabite women, and those women's name are, the names are Ruth and Orpah, which I know that's kind of a weird name to name your kid. That's actually where Oprah gets her name from. Her parents named 
her Orpah originally, but then they swapped a couple letters to make it Oprah. Uh, fun fact for the morning. <laughs> but so, so these, these sons, they marry these two, two women, and the Bible says about 10 years after they get married, both of the sons die as well. Okay, and so not only did the father die, but now the sons died, leaving Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. Okay, and now this story, especially the beginning of this story, is actually a really great lesson on hope and how we're supposed to have hope because the journey they go through really lays out the groundwork for how we're supposed to have hope as well. And one of the first things I want us to write down and to, to understand about hope is learning number three is that hope is believing in the promises of God over the possibilities of this world. Okay, the story in, of, of these people, of Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah, of what they've got to deal with, is got to be, out of anything we could think, think of, it's got to be one of the most hopeless. Right? It's got to be one of the most hopeless because not only have they lost the loves of their lives, in this culture, in the world at this time, there was really no hope for a single female to survive without being married, right? It's not like they can go out and get a job and provide for themselves. They were so tied to their husbands or tied to, to the men in their lives that, that going out by themselves was not an option. And this isn't just biblical times. I know a lot of times we like to throw stones at the Bible being so old-fashioned. This is how all the known world was, right? This wasn't just little pockets of, of biblical cities. This is everywhere, and so there's, they're, they're literally in a spot where there is no hope for them and they have no idea what they're going to do. But here's what Naomi hears through the grapevine. And I want to read this to you in Ruth chapter one, verse six. It says, when Naomi heard that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home. Okay, remember, they're in Moab, right? They're not in Bethlehem, but she hears that God has started providing for his people. The famine's over, the food shortage is gone, and God is starting to provide for the people back in her hometown. And so what she decides to do is to pack up all her stuff and bring her daughter-in-laws with her from Moab to Bethlehem. Okay, and so there's parts of the story that I really wanted to point out. The first one is the hope that Naomi has. Right? That's a big deal because Naomi is going through some hopelessness, but she hears that God's providing back where she grew up in Bethlehem, right? Now remember, she's been there before. She's experienced God providing before. She knows the stories. She's experienced God's provision. She's, she's heard of things growing up in a Jewish family. She would have known the promises and the power of God. And so part of her hope is to return back home, not in a way where it's like, I don't know if God's gonna help me out here, so, but maybe try and see what happens. It's, she, she has hope, right? She's, she's going back because she has hope in God. She expects fully that if she goes back home, God is going to provide for her the needs that she has in her life. And so Naomi shows a lot of hope. But then the other part of this story is Ruth and Orpah because they really show the difference of hope as well. Because here's what happens. As they're on their way back, Naomi stops and she turns around and she looks at Ruth and she looks at Orpah and she tries to discourage them from coming with her. And she says something like this. She says, you're going to waste your life following me. You, you might not want to come with me here. You, your best years are ahead of you. Don't follow an old lady like me. I'm not going to get remarried. I'm probably not going to have more sons for you, which was sort of like the tradition. If you, the son passed away, that then the woman would marry the brother. And, and if the, the other son passed away, then she'd marry another brother. But there was no brothers left. And so she's like, there's nothing here for you. I've got nothing I can give you. And so she, she tries to discourage 
uh, Ruth and Orpah from, from following after her, right? And so when she says that, Orpah decides, you're right. I'm, there is nothing for me here. I am going to turn back. And so she gives her mother-in-law a hug and she turns back and that's the last we ever hear of her. But Ruth decides to follow. And Ruth tells Naomi, I'm coming with you no matter what. And here's what she says in, in verse 16 through 18. It says, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now we can sort of see here the, the difference or the dichotomy between someone who's hoping in God and someone who's hoping in the world, right? Because in the story, right, the decision that they've got to make is Ruth and Orpah, they've got to make this decision. Am I going to follow Naomi as she's got her hope in God and she's trusting in this God to provide for her needs? Or do I turn back and do things my own way? Now remember, Ruth and Naomi, have Ruth and Orpah have never been to Bethlehem before. They have never experienced the provision that God had. They might have heard through their, their late husbands or maybe even through Naomi, but they've never experienced what Naomi's experienced. And so they're kind of going off of her word, right? Of what they've heard from other people. They've never felt this before. They've never experienced it before. So the decision they have is not as easy or cut and dry as it might seem. But are they going to follow after that hope or follow after God or do we go back and do things on our own? And Ruth decides, I'm going. I'm coming with you. Your God will be my God. I'm going to trust in your God. I'm going to put my hope in your God that he will provide for me. He will give me what I need to survive, to live, to, to, to go out throughout my life and to live into those promises that he has. While Orpah decides, no thanks. I'm not taking that risk. I'm not putting my hope in something I don't know. I'm not putting my hope in something I don't believe. I'd rather do the things I'm comfortable with and go where I know things can be certain or so, so she thinks. And that's why she turns back and she goes back to what she knows. Now, I, I love that because I think it shows how every single one of us has that same decision. That we all have moments in our lives where we've got to make a choice. It's either God we're going to do it his way. We're going to put our hope in him and trust in what he says to be true and, and do life the way God has designed life to be, or we have the choice to turn back and do it the way we want it to be. And I'll tell you, that's one of the hardest things to do as a Christian, to choose God over the world, because after the fact, it's easy, right? We can read this story, and this is thousands of years later, like, of course we want to choose God. God's going to be the better choice, but that's not how it goes in our lives, Right? We don't know. Like when we hope in things, we expect them and we, we hope them to be true because that's what the word says. But, but sometimes that might look a lot different than what we think it, it's going to look like. And sometimes that might not end up the same way that we want it to end up. And so choosing God over the world isn't as easy it might, as it might seem. But the truth that we get over and over in scripture is to be choosing God over the world, to put our hope in God instead of putting our hope in the world. Here's what 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says. This is Paul speaking, and he's telling Timothy, as, as Timothy's a leader over the church and all the other leaders, he's saying, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, 
who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Now, sometimes that verse can be confusing because we read the first bit and he's talking about rich people. So we're like, boom, we don't need this. This isn't for us. This is for the 1%. But when we think about the context this was written in, this was basically written for, for everybody who had an opportunity to be wealthy. It wasn't just for the people who had a lot of money. It wasn't just for the people who were high up on the political spectrum. It was for people who had an opportunity to be wealthy at all. And he's saying, make sure you tell these people to avoid putting their hope in their wealth. And why does he say that? He says it because it is so uncertain, right? Wealth, it it is uncertain, right? Money is uncertain, right? It's, It's deceiving because it makes us feel like we can be safe and comfortable and secure. But it's so uncertain because both sides of that spectrum, we could have no money, and, and tomorrow, win, win the Powerball, right? We have billionaires overnight. That's crazy how much money you can win in those games. But then the opposite's true too. You can have all the money in the world and then overnight, what happens? Maybe the stock falls or something crashes or something happens and you lose everything. And so money sometimes can be that, that security blanket that many of us think we have. I'm not saying it doesn't make certain parts of life easier because it absolutely does. But when it comes to where we put our hope, He's saying, don't put it in the world. Don't put it in money because that's so uncertain. The world is so uncertain. It goes from top to bottom, high, low, all the time. Put your hope in God who's never going to change, who's never going to fail you, who's never going to let you down, who's never going to be discouraging to you or disappointing to you because that's who God is. God is one who fulfills the promises he makes. He does all these things for our enjoyment, for us to find peace, for us to find joy in life. Paul says, put your hope in God. Don't be be deceived. Don't let the world convince you that there's hope there. It might make your life a little bit easier in certain times, but it will never be something you could put your hope in and find true joy and find true happiness. And so when Naomi is trying to discourage Ruth and Orpah from following her, that's basically what she's telling them. She's basically telling them, you're guaranteed nothing by following God other than the promise that he makes to give you what you need, right? If you're looking for a husband, if you're, if you're, you're thinking you just want an easy life, right? If you just want to follow God and get everything handed to you and have life be so much easier, this might not be the path you want to take, right? Sometimes we come to the table with Christianity and that's the expectations we have, right? And that might be because someone you watch on TV tells you that God wants you to be rich, healthy, and wealthy, Right? That God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to have all the comforts in the world and, and, be, and have money and, and have health. And, and if you don't, it's probably because you're, there's something wrong with you. Right? And, and when we read the Bible, there's, that's nowhere. Right? That's, if anything, the Bible tells us that following God is costly to our lives. Right? If you read through the New Testament, Jesus is basically warning people all the time, make sure you count the costs before you follow me. So there's going to be days where we've got nowhere to sleep. This is not going to be an easy life. What his message is to his people is the road to life is not the easy road. The road to life is more so often than not the hard road. And so Naomi's telling these girls, she's like, if you guys want to find husbands and settle down and have families and and want everything to work out for you, this is probably not going to happen if you come follow me. If you come follow God, you, you probably won't get everything that you want. Right? God never promises us at all to give us everything we want. What does God promise us? To give us everything we need. And that's the truth about hope, is when we put our hope in God, we don't need to be expecting to get everything we want. 
but we can expect and understand and trust that we're going to get everything that we need. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. The same God who takes care of me, this is Paul speaking, will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches. Paul says God will provide the things you need. And it might not be the needs you think you have, it's the needs God knows you have. See, that's part of following God and putting our hope in God that not many people like to talk about is that, kind of like that video, we're not gonna get everything we want. Right? Following God is not a promise to get everything we want. It's a promise to get everything we need. And it's a promise to get everything we need on his terms and on our terms. The word for need here in Philippians chapter four is, is actually a word that's used a lot in the future tense where it's not necessarily talking about God giving you everything you need right now, but God giving you everything you need when you look at your life in an all-encompassing from beginning to end. That God's not gonna let you down. God's gonna fulfill the promises he's made for you and God's gonna give you what you need, but it might come at a different time than you want it to come. It's gonna come on God's time. And that's another huge part about hope and it's learning number four is that hope is believing in the future against the present. It's believing that what God says is true is going to come to me, is going to come to you even if you don't live to see it. Even if you don't, you don't experience it with your own eyes and your own life, that you still trust and you still hope for those things in life. Almost every single reference to hope in the Bible is about something in the future. Not about the present, certainly not about the past, but it's almost always about the present. I mean, we could look through and go verse by verse in Hebrews chapter 11 and read all the stories of the great faith and hope that those people had. And then after all of that, here's what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 13. He says, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. So what he's saying here is the, the, where they had their hope and where they had their trust in God, the things they hoped for and the things they were expecting, they died still fully believing those things would come, but none of them got to experience it. Because hope is something that we wait for, right? Hope is waiting. Hope is saying, I know, God, you're going to do this. I trust that you're going to do this. And I'm willing to wait even beyond my life to see it come true, to see it be real, to see it be given whether it's to me, to my children, to my children's children, or to whoever that may be, I'm going to trust you until the day that I die, that what I hope in you and how I trust you and the ways that I put my expectations in you are going to be true. And it's going to come, even if I don't get to experience it. I'd say probably the waiting part is maybe the harder part of hope is knowing those promises that God has for us and doing the best we can to wait for them to come, to not give up on them, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, before God has the opportunity to provide those things. And it's not easy. Again, we do it all in relationships, it happens, where a lot of times we jump the gun and we, we, we are with the wrong people or pursue the wrong people or maybe within that relationship that we have, we do things that you know, we shouldn't be doing because we don't want to wait for it. We'd rather have that security and the comfort and the peace now. We'd rather have that status right now. And so we make mistakes because we go too quick and we're not willing to wait for God. And sometimes we forfeit what God has for us in the future because we want what we want now. 
Sometimes that happens with money too, right? The, the mentality of spending money, you have it, you gotta spend it, right? We don't save much money anymore in life. We spend what we've got because we'll worry about that later, right? We'll worry about our future at another time. Like we'll have money later, don't worry, it'll work itself out, right? That's how most of us get into debt, right? We think everything will be fine later. And, you know, in two years, I'll have a better job, be making more money, I'll be able to pay it off then. And almost every single time, it's not the case, Right? A lot of us hate waiting. We hate waiting for anything in life, especially those things that are super meaningful and super important as we go through life. But here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desired fulfilled is a tree of life. Solomon is painting that picture of what it means to hope, and he's saying sometimes hoping can make us feel sick. Hope deferred basically means hope that, that's put off, right? That, that you're hoping for something and you're expecting something and it's taking forever, right? It's dragging out. And he's saying that can make us feel sick. It can make us feel terrible. It can make us feel hopeless and helpless in life. But then he says, a desired fulfilled is a tree of life. He says there's so much life when we wait for something, when we hope for something and wait for it and we're willing to wait for God to do it on his time. And when we get it, he says it's like a tree of life that is so strong, the roots go so deep, and it provides for years and years and years to come. God wants us to be people who have hope. God wants us to, to be men and women and children who hope for the things that he's promised, to put our hope in the right things, to, especially around Christmas time, to be people who put our hope in God, the person of God, the promises of God, the things that he says to be, that are true in our lives, to trust him so much that it changes the way we live now and gives us a hope that, that can be destroyed by nothing else in life. Here's what Romans chapter 8, verse 24 says, and we'll close with this. It says, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Sometimes the best way or the only way for us to be hopeful is to wait for God to show up and to provide what he's promised for us to provide. Even when it might not look how we want it to look, even though when it's, when it's not in the moments, we get everything we want, but it's trusting that if we, we hope in God, we will get everything that we need. The story of Ruth is not a perfect ending. Her life does not necessarily get easier, especially in the immediate term. But we do see that eventually God does provide for her a husband and she gets married. And on their wedding night, they get pregnant. Surprise. <laughs> and they give birth to a baby boy who grows up to find a wife of his own and they get pregnant and have a child of their own. And that son grows up to get married to a, wo a woman and, and they have a child of their own and that child's name is David. And that kid ends up becoming the greatest king that the nation of Israel has ever seen. And you know who came from the line of David that we see in the New Testament? It's Jesus. It was Jesus. Her faithfulness, her hope, her trust in God that God would provide and do what only God can do brought a blessing that might have looked different than she wanted or desired, but it was exactly what she needed. And it was exactly what God had in store for her from the foundations of her life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the hope that you give us, the gift of hope. 
And help us to be reminded, especially around this time of year, that, that you do give us that hope, that only you can provide the hope that's true, only you can provide the hope that's lasting, only you can be that person of hope that we can look to when everything else in our lives disappoints us. We can trust and rely on you. God, your word says that, that you are our anchor, that, that hoping in you is the anchor for our soul. And that, God, it gives us an inner peace that we can trust Jesus and we can trust what he's done and what he's said and what he's promised and follow him throughout our lives and be the people that you've called us and created us to be. Not because we're amazing and not because we've got skill sets that, that you want, but because we have a trust and a hope in you and you alone that you will do what you say you'll do and you will give to us and provide for us all that we need. God, we love you so much. We ask that you bless this day and bless this season in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, hey, thanks again for being here. As always, you know, if you've got that uh, Church Center app, you can go out and fill out a connection card. There's a spot where you can fill out if you got a prayer request or there's something you need, especially this time of year. Please let us know if there's anything that you need from us. Uh, two big announcements kind of based on volunteering uh, some opportunities we have. The first one is on our tech team. If you've noticed, we've got cameras here uh, that we've all, we're always looking for new bodies for people to help out with on a Sunday morning. Um, we also have online hosts where if you are someone who watches online, there's moderators in those chats to welcome people and almost to be that first impression for people who are watching online and haven't made that step maybe to be here on a Sunday morning in person. And so if you're interested in any of those two, I want to encourage you to fill out the the connection card to volunteer for those. Also, if you notice in the lobby, we've got a table set up for our Hearts and Hammers group. And that's a group that if you, maybe technology is not your thing and you want to get your hands dirty and you want to get to work physically, uh, you can volunteer there to do some work projects and service projects for people who are in need. And also on the flip side of that, if you do have a need, you can visit that table as well and they can help you maybe get on the list of, of, of being helped by people in this church. So lots of opportunities to volunteer. I want to encourage you to check those out, but I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week and hope to see you back next Sunday. Thank you.